Operamilitary once said, the essential question is not how busy you are, but what are you busy with? And that's going to be the discussion of our today's conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist, a podcast channel for all things optometry. And this is your host, Ukti Vora. Before we get into the episode, please remember that Nerdy Optometrist is available on all your platforms. So do make sure that you give a thumbs up and do share it with your friends and leave us a review. Today, I have someone who has an experience in something very interesting. As soon as I heard his bio and learned what he has done. So let me give you a quick intro and dive directly into our episode. Today we have Mr. Ankit Patel, whose personal vision is to help people organize and communities flourish by using the proven thinking and methodology associated with lean transformation and flourishing concepts. Yes, this sounds quite interesting and that's why we are going to dive deep into it. He is the CEO of Classic Vision Care, he is the overall operation of the company. He plans out a company's overall strategies and policies. And prior to founding the Leanway Consulting and Company CEO of Classic Vision Care, he was a lean consultant with computer giant Dell, where he helped guide strategic planning at its multi-billion dollar manufacturing and remanufacturing production plant in Lebanon. As part of his job, he coached plant executives facilitate Kaizen events and train lean leaders at all levels of the organization. Equally, at home in healthcare, he has worked with world-renowned Cleveland Clinic, where he helped improve culture and processes in its internationally ranked heart and vascular care. This is really interesting, and I'm sure all of us can benefit from learning what these concepts are. Thank you so much, Ankit, for being a part of the Nerdy family and a warm welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we're going to go from the beginning. This is my favorite question to understand how your journey started and how did you end up being part of the eye care industry? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I, I fell into the industry, to be honest. So uh, you heard of my background before the eye care industry. I I had nothing. I, I was in healthcare but not the eye care industry. And when I met my now wife at the time, she was an, she's an optometrist. And once we got married, she wanted her own practice. And that's what introduced me to the, the field of opt- optometry. And as we, you know, we started off with one practice, it was hers. I, I was involved a little bit. I helped her start it, but then she ran it on her own. And then I started looking at it and I was like, you know, this is a pretty, pretty good business. And I, I, it's really interesting. And I'm tired of traveling for my consulting. So why don't we try to expand our this business and let me come help you grow it? And that's that's how I stumbled into the field. Well, I have to say all optometrists attract the better half to join the industry. Like if you are anywhere close to an optometrist, you'll be part of the industry. We don't leave anyone outside it. You know, that's I think even my husband now is already tired about all the things I talk about optometry. He hasn't left his job yet, but I can see, you know, how things can be interesting <laughs> once you are in the eye care industry. Yeah. So maybe I hope, one day, yeah. <laughs> maybe one day. But I, I hope that, you know, uh, you're enjoying this journey and being part of the industry. But I really loved your background and the concept that you mentioned about lean transformation, which I'm sure some of them might be aware about it, but not for everyone. Can you talk us a little bit more about the concept and what uh, what is it all about? Yeah, so uh, lean transformation or uh, 
Lean Six Sigma. It has several different names. The and there's different flavors and variations of it, but the basic concept is it comes from manufacturing or Toyota production system. And the basic concept behind it is how do you looking from a customer or in our case, a patient's perspective, how do you maximize the value that you bring to that patient and minimize the waste around it? And that's at a, at a core, that's what it is. And I mean, in today's uh, in today's world where, you know, customers are or patients are so well informed and they're always looking for quality service. They want everything quick with chat GPT. They already question our abilities. They feel like, you know, I can get everything done, diagnosed by chat GPT <laughs> and all the AIs. I think these concepts of adding value to the service, I think it's phenomenal. And I'm so glad we're talking about it. So, of course, you came from a manufacturing like industry, but now you've also been part of healthcare and eye care. So can you also uh, explain that, you know, what is the importance of it in the healthcare industry? Yeah. So if I understand your question properly is what is the importance of lean in the healthcare industry? Yes, because right. it's okay. always associated with like, you know, bigger companies, organizations, yeah. but as a smaller practice as in healthcare in general. How do you position its importance? So this is interesting because if you use ChatGPT or Google, it'll give you a whole set of concepts and things that are probably not relevant for your practice being that the size it is. Uh, So I'll give you a framing to look at it and how we looked at it in our practice is what does the patient really want? And traditional lean response would be, okay, well, you want to get as much volume through the office as you can get them in get them out, reduce all the extra time, maximize what we classify as value add and go from there. It's all about efficiency. Right. There, what, what people forget is it's about value. So we looked at it. What is, what do our patients really value? Well, they value the time with the doctor. They value the relationship. They value the, the care we take in explaining and creating specific prescription plans for them. So instead of going the route of reducing our patient appointment times, we actually increased them. When we first started, we actually did 45 minute exams to an hour long exams. And we would spend a lot of time with patients, just talking with them, building a relationship and helping them create custom solutions based off their needs, based off what they would tell us. And we found that patients really found that valuable. And the way we would measure that if they found it valuable was yeah, it's sort of customer survey scores but also were our numbers getting better? Because mm. if the numbers weren't getting better, then ultimately it's not a win-win situation, which we want it to be a win-win situation, a win for the patients and the win for the business. I think this is so interesting because I've been part of the industry for, for years now. And most of the time we define the success of a practice by the number of patients seen, right? And the idea is you have to get out a patient every 15 minutes. And here you are saying that you your practice spends about 45 minutes to an hour because you found based on your research that your patients are looking at value built in relationship, which I think somewhere in the transition of this race of the numbers, we kind of miss out. Was there an analysis that was done for you to come down to these conclusions? Can you share a little more around this? Uh, yes. And we're at 30 minutes now for exams. So we're able yeah. to fine tune that process. Right. Uh, it's all, it, it's really around your demographics and your patient base. So we did a, uh, we did a study around median income around and what average income was, what people valued, uh, education level, what insurances and vision benefits that people have. It does, this does not work everywhere, right? So your, right. your patient base is going to be different. If you have a Medicaid office, it's a very different patient base that still values that connection 
at the same time, the, the compensation, you're actually catering more towards the government insurance panel because they're really effectively your customer in the case of Medicaid versus someone who may have VSP or IMED, which the patient has more say in that. So you, it's kind of understanding who the end customer really is in the process or who the end patient is. And could you highlight or talk about any tools that you use in these strategies or could you, you know, guide our listeners towards those tools or something that you can help, you know, plan this thing better to begin with? Yes. And this is something that I use in all my businesses. It's process mapping and standard work. So process mapping, making your process look visual. So, um, and we'll talk about it here, but in my, every business I have a, a some sort of mapping. So on our phones, we use a decision tree. If a person calls in, what are the possible things that they could say? And there's a visual representation of all the potential paths. Um, and so that's easy to communicate and see and how we're managing everything. And then what we say is, okay, well, if someone calls with these types of requests, how would we handle it? So writing a documentation for that. So that's a good first step is kind of writing and data dumping everything out in terms of how you handle patient uh, flow. Because uh, you want to account for all the places the patient could go. And then just by doing that, you'll see a lot of opportunity in where you where you have um, either waste or we could make it better here or there, things like that. Uh, oh, that's wonderful. I just like the idea of like, you know, mapping it out the, mm-hmm. the minute you started talking about it. I'm like, that's very interesting. Usually, uh, we do that in bigger organization as part of the process. But for independent practitioners, and you have a proven case that your wife in her own practice did that, and it helped reflect in numbers in like patient satisfaction, overall numbers in in your practice. Uh, I also want to know in terms of these lean transformation, uh, how does your staff contribute? How how has that helped the staff in terms of effectively managing their time and responses? So what I will say is, is that you have to understand your staff and know who you really trust to contribute and who you don't. Because um, not everyone will want to, or you really don't want everyone to contribute to this conversation. Because what you're talking about is how do you change your business and your livelihood, and that's really important if you're the owner. Right. And so um, you've got to you've got to first assess: is this person really someone who would bring value to that conversation and understand really how to do it, and really have the same level of concern you would, or at least close to it? Um, many times that answer is no at a company this size. When you're in bigger companies, there's a lot of HR functions and principles. It's uh, compensation is different. You're not looking at someone who's making you know twenty, you know twelve to twenty dollars an hour. You're looking at someone making you know one hundred fifty, two hundred, you know even seventy five thousand dollars a year. It's a different conversation. So I would say first, make sure to evaluate your staff to, that it, this is something that you would want to bring to them and take their input. If you feel the answer is yes, what you do is you you teach them how to think about it. And then you let them come up with ideas and you brainstorm about it. So you have to have space for sense-making. So we have a once a week leadership meeting. So our leadership team talks about these things. We track the issues. We'll we'll try to figure out solutions and someone will own that solution and we'll go run with it. And what I'll do is I'll use it as a teaching point to teach. Well, this is where, this is how we want to do this process. So one small example is if you're checking in jobs, I, I like for everyone in our office to do one job at a time, meaning uh, you might have 20 jobs to check in, uh, glasses, but you want to you want to neutralize one set of glasses, check it in, make sure it's good, call the patient, do the notations, put it up, and then go to the next one. Versus what most people want to do is check everything in, call every patient, then put it up. Um, 
there's a, and there's a reason why, but that's an example of, okay, uh, I use that as a litmus test. If someone listens and tries to understand why we want to do single piece flow versus batching, then that's usually a good person that, okay, I can, I can trust them to understand the other concepts I'll bring to them. Um, and the reason why you would do something like that is that let's say you, the UPS person comes at 10 AM, you're really busy. The optician gets pulled away. Well, if you're doing one at a time, then if you had 20 jobs, maybe you got through three of them completely and they're called and those patients come and pick up their glasses before lunch. And then after lunch, you can do maybe 10 more. And those people come before the end of the day. And the end of the day, you have maybe like five to six more to do that they come tomorrow. Versus if you do them all at once, you start at 10 a.m. You don't get finished with any of them. You get pulled away. You come back there for lunch. You're still not done with all of them because you haven't got to that point yet. And by the end of the day, you might call two or three people before it's time to go home. And so it's it ends up being that 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 time to to take care of that patient takes longer and you actually end up doing more work with with the jobs. And they also usually come in, they usually come in bunches too. So what you'll find is that you call 20 at the same time, they all tend to come at lunch. And so it ends up overwhelming the office. I think that's very interesting. I love this example because I was actually going to ask you like, why would you choose one versus the other? But thanks for like, you know, uh, closing that loop for me because I'm like, why wouldn't you want to just finish one thing at a time? But as you rightly said, in especially in smaller practices, uh, we do have like one people, one person doing multiple jobs. It's not that they just are, you know, giving out glasses or calling patients. So they might be multitasking and you want to use their time to be more efficient than just things getting blocked in the process, whatever you have decided to pick one. Uh, so I think I think this is interesting. Any other things or any other concepts that you would like to highlight specifically for uh, independent practitioners? Because that's where I want to push this concept yeah. about lean transformation that has helped you know your wife from an OD perspective. So lean is a growth strategy. And, and for ODs, even if you're not growing, you still have to take in consideration your finances and how to, and, that, and that's where you'll read a lot of literature. They don't talk about it, but let's be honest. If we're business owners, that's a reality that we have to deal with. Um, so the one thing I'll say is non-doctor payroll is a number we look at pretty, pretty effectively. So we want to make sure our staff is productive. And so non-doctor payroll as a percentage of revenue is important for us. Um, typically, that number sh- uh, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world is no more than 24 to 25% of your revenues. Um, we've been seeing a lot of offices actually closer to 28 to 32%, uh, especially larger offices. Uh, smaller offices even are, are increasing as well. So, um, you know, it can be as low as 15%, uh, but nowadays it's hard to get that below 22%. Um, but that's a number you want to look at. And what I would say is that, remember, it's not all, it, it, it's about how can you still deliver value to the patient without having to have the extra expenses. So one of the things that we looked at was, okay, what tasks can we take out of the office that we can use remote staffing and help that will still deliver or at the same level or better than our existing staff was doing and reduce our cost. And so one of the projects we took on was, about three or four, three and a half, four years ago, is taking our, our phones and offshoring them. And that's been a, a huge win for us ever since. And that helps us keep our payroll, non-doctor payroll cost in the right percentage for us. Very, very interesting. I think I really like, and every time I talk about this, uh, about this business owner aspect of IK practitioner, because we are all drilled into becoming an optometrist for like four years of college. But when we step out, we have to also have a business hat, which sometimes is a struggle for 
I would say many of us, yeah. <laughs> though many are very successful, they just have an inbuilt quality of being a business person. But sometimes it's a struggle and tips like these and having a growth strategy, I'm sure is definitely helpful. Uh, while we're talking about all amazing things, right? I want to also understand the struggles in this journey, mm -hmm. maybe from your end to kind of put in these concepts in reality or some struggles which your wife might have brought it up from a practitioner's perspective, any or both, or both, I would like to learn more about the challenges as well. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> so just like <laughs> any business owner, their business. So a lot of the challenges. So there's a dynamic between working with my wife. There's a dynamic there. There's a challenge in terms of it's hard to turn it off, right? We're at dinner. It's still some, oh, work is coming up and it's hard to separate that. That's a challenge. So we, it took us a few years to kind of figure out how to deal with that. Um, the other challenges in terms of the actual business side is just learning mis from mistakes, right? So learning my own strengths, where I'm strong, where I'm not. And more importantly, this is something I, I've recently learned is I have to hire people that work well with me, not necessarily that might seem the best fit on paper. And so um, a perfect example, I, I tend to be more introverted. And so uh, you know, people say, well, you want an extrovert, someone who's really friendly, outgoing, well, it's hard for me to manage folks who are extroverted because they they usually want more attention. They want to talk. They want the the you know the public praise, which I try to do and give. Um, my natural inclination is more head down, focus on a problem, what to work on next. And so for me, it's really difficult to manage in a way that's effective for for a lot of extroverts. And so I've kind of learned how to adapt to that. But I also learned that you know what I need to have someone in between me and everyone else that can manage, that can work with me and manage that. So doing things like that has been a really important lesson to learn mostly my strengths and what do I need, who do I need to have on a team that can help uh, help where I'm not strong so I can focus in the areas that I am strongest. I think, I think that's wonderful because sometimes we tend to look in the direction where we, we feel is like the standard norm, but we're not really happy with the outcome. So it's also important to kind of learn from it and accept where you stand and what your gut feeling is in terms of the process. Uh, but I know you are helping your wife's practice and you have this experience. But I also know that we were talking about this offline, that you can help other practices as well. And I want to spend some time on, you know, talking about how can people learn if they want to grow and reach out to you and talk about like how to understand and how to make growth strategies, how to understand the gaps, how to, you know, learn and make their practice better. Can you share a little more around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have another company called My Business Care Team, uh, mybcat.com. Uh, my email is ankith at mybcat.com, which I think is in the show notes. So um, that should be there. Um, the and that's really a uh, service for optometrists to help with offshoring some their phone, the inbound calling specifically. So uh, helping get that labor cost down for you, as well as getting support and help and making sure you can focus on getting the right talent in your offices, because ultimately it is a service-based business. And if you have the right people, you can really excel with the in-office experience um, and you can be more efficient, but you have to be able to free up a lot of the admin tasks so that you can hire the right staff, pay them, compensate them properly, still be within budget and have a, have a great experience uh, for the patient and for your business. 
Yeah, I think this is great. And as uh, Ankit rightly mentioned, I'll be dropping these links in the description. So please do reach out to him. Especially, I want to highlight one thing. These services are extremely important in current time when we are already facing staff shortages and having issues with like the churn rate of, you know, staff leaving and trying to hire someone. If some portion can be offshore and make uh, a better impact in your practice versus, you know, impacting negatively so you can retain your staff. I think it would be a huge help. So thanks, Ankit, for, put, for putting something out there for all our eye care practitioners who are great optometrists, but sometimes we need help and when it comes to business. So really appreciate you doing the hard work for us. Yeah, and and, and if anyone wants to reach out, just any general, generic question or general question, I'd be happy to answer. And I just love helping other um, people in the industry. It's fun. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So it's not, it's mainly for optometrists, but you're open to help anyone, right? Just to understand in terms of uh, the growth strategy and things. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. If, if, you know, office manager, someone's interested, I'd be happy to talk with them. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, so I know we did talk a lot about uh, lean transformation concepts, I care, but we don't know who you are. So we're going to dive into our game segment, which is just to know you a little bit more. And we're not going to talk anything I would say we're going to avoid anything about eye care and healthcare to begin okay. with. So it's uh, my rapid fire round where as the game is, I'll just ask you a question. You have to give the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay, let's go. Perfect. Uh, so to begin with, uh, tell me about your favorite destination. I like anywhere there's a beach, specifically Hawaii. Wonderful. Uh, a hobby or something that you like to do during uh, downtime? Uh, judo right now while I'm still able to do it so, wow yeah. that's wonderful <laughs> yeah one thing people don't know about you one thing people don't know about me i would say i like to uh you know i like video games <laughs> so <laughs> that is something fun for me i like to geek out and do, play video games one of my downtime as well <laughs> that's wonderful are uh, your favorite cuisine oh i'd say it is has to be general mexican food I love Mexican food. Wonderful. So I know where to go out for dinner whenever we meet. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, if you were to interview a guest, dead or alive, who would that be? And what would the question be? So I I like to... So can I pick more than one or does it have to be one person? You can pick more than one. Okay. So one, I would say uh, Elon Musk, only because I don't like... I don't necessarily think him as a person, I have questions about, but he is really good at allocating resources and businesses and how they grow. I'd be curious to learn more about that. Okay. Um, I'd be curious to talk to Mahatma Gandhi because he basically led a revolution and it's really interesting to hear that perspective of his journey. I would love to understand that. Um, and then specifically, uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably like to talk to someone like Albert Einstein um, and just learn how his brain thinks so differently in terms of how he came up with the concepts he came up with. I have to say you are a true nerd because you picked all the nerds. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. I am a nerd. And so I, I see, you know, we, we definitely did learn about you without you saying it loud. <laughs> yeah. If we were to write an autobiography about your journey, what would you like the title to be? A life in the present. A life in the present. Good one. Uh, last question one thing that you dislike about technology it's addictive 
and I'm always on it. It's just, I want to keep looking on it. So, yeah. Oh, wonderful. So you did great in the rapid fire. Uh, good job. And we definitely know a little more about you and your personality. Uh, before I let you go, Anke, thank you so much for sharing all these concepts. But I would like to ask you one takeaway message for all my listeners. One takeaway message I would say is focus on the important things first and have a true North star to help you guide to what's important. So um, if it's in your practice, find out really what you want from it and then work backwards from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much once again for your time and sharing all these amazing concepts with us. Thank you so much for building a company which is going to help all the IK practitioners out there. Uh, for all those who are interested, I'll be definitely dropping his information in the description. Do definitely reach out to him. Make sure that you know you can get the most out of all these services out there. Grow, strategize, and let's let's be together in this you know successful journey moving forward. So thank you once again, Ankit, for your time, and uh, really appreciate. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Thanks. Thank you for having me.